It's The Inch Show, Australia's only show dedicated to innovation from Adelaide, Australia and across the globe. It's David Grice and Troy Sincock. We're talking innovation, startups, entrepreneurs, people with extraordinary ideas that are up for changing our lives for the better and the journeys that they've taken to get there. Yeah, and look, today you ventured into a world that I'm very passionate about and that's wine. I've noticed you do enjoy a drop. I do. And... uh, Where's my bottle? You should have brought me back something. You know what? I really That opportunity slipped through my fingers. I honestly didn't even think about it. And I think it's because what we were talking about were the innovations at the winery. This thing is absolutely extraordinary. And so is this man. He loves wearing colour. In every photo you ever see, he's either wearing this, you know, floral shirt or something crazy. Very expressive guy who's, um, you know, up to some big things that are about to change the world. Chester Osborne's an extraordinary man. He, he started working in the family's Darenberg Winery at seven years old, getting paid 10 cents an hour. And now after half a century in the vineyard, an idea he came up with in 2003 has actually come to reality. It's called the Darenberg Cube. Yeah, it's a $14 million mind-bending innovation inspired by the complexities and puzzles of winemaking. So, Chester, this cube has had a huge impact. Yeah, it's sort of sent made the new benchmark for uh, how we educate people in the wine industry, I suppose, and uh, entertain them probably more than educate. They can be educated if they want as they go through the building or they can just be entertained. Mm. But, uh, yeah, uh, I wanted to tell the real Darenberg story and the four generations that we've been there uh, developing it. And I thought the best way to make this happen was through art and through this alternate realities museum and uh, and and a building obviously that is hopefully beautiful as several people have said to me they think it's really beautiful I always, yeah. I was a bit obsessive that I thought it was mm-hmm. but uh, even my father likes it now so that's saying something I think <laughs> <laughs> he's 91 years old and wow. he didn't really think it was ever going to look any good but uh, he was uh, he's really quite amazed and very complimentary now it's an extraordinary innovation in terms of you know um, what it's meant for Darenberg but also the entire world wine region in South Australia and, you know, tourism as a whole, has it had greater impact than you expected it to? And can you tell me, you know, what was your intention in the first instance? I suppose my first intention was to attract a lot of people mm. and to tell the story of Darenberg, as I say, and, uh, you know, hopefully one day sell more wine mm-hmm. and more higher, more expensive wines because we do a fairly elaborate way of winemaking, quite old-fashioned, but with modern thinking and, and so, you know, biodynamic or you know, organic, those sorts of things. Whatever. So telling that whole story is difficult, but uh, in, a, in a humorous way. So, so I suppose that's what I was uh, aiming to do. And we, we have managed to achieve a lot. I think there's, I got a lot more press than I ever imagined. And uh, the numbers have been really fantastic through the building. And, and the staffing has been you know, a challenge because there's a lot of people to look after. But that's worked really well. And then, of course, we've got the restaurant, which uh, the Darenberg Cube restaurant is really quite way out and uh, again uh, working on alternate realities things aren't what they seem when you're in there and you're challenged and it's quite very entertaining but small tasting menu styles of very elaborate style of cooking equipment that I didn't know existed there's mm-hmm. so much equipment in fact we also got the first um, 3D printer in 3D printing of food in the southern hemisphere that we're doing one of the courses with which is quite wild, but uh, yeah, there's it's yeah, it's all it's all amazing and, and it's beautiful how many people are embracing it and and the positivity I'm getting back from the restaurant and everything or the whole building. Mm. It's an extraordinary innovation. Tell me about how the idea came to you and what it's taken to have it become a reality. 
<laughs> yeah, well, it came to me in a bit of a flash. I suppose just, I was going to build all old colonial stuff like the old homestead is there. Yep. And then one day I just went, oh, who wants to really come and see fake old colonial stuff? And what's what's it going to be the draw card? And I went, I need something that really encapsulates Darenberg, what we're, the essence of what Darenberg's about, which our label names are such a puzzle to work out. And we're quirky and we like to have a lot of fun with them. And uh, label, uh, wine is such a puzzle to work out. I went, what's the most iconic puzzle? And a Rubik's Cube is, you know, I thought, the most iconic. And then I went, well, yeah, we could do that in the vineyard. And then I went, oh, mm, colours, it's going to be hard to do. I went, oh, no, we'll, we'll put puzzles on the outside instead. So it's like a puzzle on top of puzzles. And uh, and then I, said, I started drawing it. I went, oh, it needs twisting and blocks pulled out, one up, one. We, we need something in the car park to replace the old tin shed that's in there, the boar shed, and so one's fallen out. And, and uh, I made it out of baseball trophy, uh, baseball holders, sorry, little plastic uh, cubes, made it all in a little vineyard with little soldiers in there and ambulances and police cars and fire engines and whatever, and I presented it to the board, my father and his brother and sister, and they they said, uh, oh, oh, don't like the look of that, and they were really quite negative and quite uh, uh, de- degrading of the whole thing, although my uncle said, you know, if uh, winemaking doesn't work out for you, then and you could always become a model maker. <laughs> he thought the model was really good, yeah. but uh, but yeah, it took a long time to get them over the over the mark. Uh, quite some years, and really, I probably didn't get them over the mark. It was more a case of they said, uh, my father said, well, you'd never be able to build a building like this. And I said, well, why don't I try? And he thought he wouldn't be able to. What's the builder said, yes, he can. And then the next thing he said was, well, you'll never get approval for it up here on the hill. And I said, well, why don't I try? And it took a year to get through council, but there weren't any objections really. And so uh, it, uh, it happened. And so, of course, that was 15 years ago that uh, that all started that process. And, uh, and we were going to build it in 2009, but um, the crash of 2008 really put the cat amongst the pigeons, the global financial crisis, mm-hmm. and uh, profitability in the wine industry had gone out. Uh, we'd bought our debt had gone up quite a lot because we bought quite a few vineyards in McLaren Vale in the previous years, and so we went well. We we really can't. It's too risky to build. Mm-hmm. We managed to claw back a fair bit of debt over the next five years, and said, well, I think uh, the numbers stack up now. Tourism had even got bigger. Um, the uh, our brand uh, experiences, people wanting experiences out there, tasting experiences, blending experiences, uh, paid experiences, not just going to the tasting room and having a glass of wine. That, that was really growing rapidly and so it was very appropriate timing that we that we build something that really uh, attracted people and, and hence we went, well, let's do it. Now, the really crazy thing about all of that is that it was very fortunate because we, the building wasn't actually buildable back in 2009 mm-hmm. because the facade is half in the sun and half covered up with the white pattern. And so that would normal glass would explode because of the temperature difference. So you have to get tempered, double tempered glass, and we, that wasn't available in 2009 in big format glass. It was only until 2014 that that became available. Now, the quirky thing about that is that we got building codes of 2010 that we were working on the whole time. We kept the building approvals alive for those next years. And in 2014, we wouldn't have been actually be able to build that amount of glass in the sun because the energy efficiency codes changed 10% every year, got harder and harder and harder. And so the building wouldn't have been buildable uh, legally. So there was no one point in time where this building was actually buildable. So it's quite quirky. It had to happen exactly when it did. That's absolutely amazing. What I love is that, you know, the overall concept is an innovation itself, but you've had to utilise 
innovations on the run to be able to enable you to execute this. So can you tell me more about um, you know, the special features of this building that makes it so special? Well, it's very complex for a start because the base is all set back in. So you've got four storeys with these huge cantilevers mm-hmm. and then the top two storeys turned, again, more cantilever. And the very top storey, we've got three blocks pulled right out, another you know two metres, uh, a bit over two metres. So the overhang's enormous in there and that happens to be where the missing cube is underneath it. Mm-hmm. So there's a big area where there's no supports. And so- uh, I suppose, to, uh, just to interrupt you there, for those that haven't seen a picture of the Derenberg Cube, it is, as you um, described, it's like a Rubik's Cube that's in sort of motion of being turned. So it's not like a, it's not a, not a cube per se. It's like each of the different levels, the Rubik's Cube sort of shifted around. Yeah, exactly. So the bottom, it's a four by four um, cube toy, if you yeah. imagine. Yeah. And normally when you're twisting, you would only twist one of the yeah. levels at once, whereas we've got actually the two top ones are twisted. Yep. And, and the block's pulled out halfway on the second floor, mm-hmm. um, uh, one on each uh, facing, um, which, of course, you can't do on a, on a toy like that. So it's mm-hmm. slightly different in, in that respect. And so, yeah, so there was innovation required for the building to look a certain way and to be able to be mobile as well. And then the experience within, like you talked about, the, uh, the 3D printing of the food that's happening inside, you have had to use this glass that wasn't available until five years ago. You've had to wait for technology to sort of catch up to your idea. Yeah. Is there anything else like that within the building itself? Pretty much everyone who worked on the building, the builders, all of the facade people, all the engineers, the architects, and any contractor had, I had working for me uh, said most of the time, no, you can't do such and such. <laughs> and I said, I'd go off and I'd come back and I'd draw what I think they could do to actually get around their problems. Mm-hmm. And they would say, uh, well, oh, yeah, maybe it could be done. It's never been done though, but yeah, maybe it could be done, but it'll cost you a lot. And I said, it won't cost a lot. It's just a bit of design. Designing and then and then you know it goes off to the fabricators. It's not going to be a problem. So they said, yeah, all right. And every one of them said it was the most difficult building they've ever worked on, um, but uh, but an enjoyable one. They all have been great. The people who've been working on it. I mean, things like the door as you walk up to it. There's this door that twists open. So um, the it's very difficult to describe, but it's in four. Um, corners, I suppose, four squares, and the squares are like, like origami that you've um, uh, moved that bit of paper that you have all your fingers in mm-hmm. back and forth. Yeah. And and so the verticals become the horizontals when it's in the open position. Gotcha. And then the horizontals become back into the vertical when it's enclosed, and, and it comes out at you a metre while it's folding diagonally. It's really hard to describe, <laughs> but but it's quite quirky. And then uh, as you look first in, you see a reverse perspective art piece which not many people have ever seen. And when you when you rock on your feet from side to side, left to right, you'll see the floor of the of the winery. It's basically the open fermenters and basket press area on the top. You'll see the walls moving. As you move a little bit, the whole thing's moving and it really plays with your mind. And when you get closer, you realise it's because it's a reverse perspective art piece. And it's, again, working on this idea of alternate realities because mm-hmm. it's not real. It's not, not, uh, not the way you perceive it. So really, while it was a, a massive challenge, what you've been able to do is, you know, is push people to look beyond their own boundaries. And now that it's complete, it must be a, such an enormous level of satisfaction from everyone involved that they've had to extend themselves in that way. 
Uh, yeah, it is. In fact, it's quite uh, weird actually having worked for so many years on the concepts inside the building and with people and uh, being quite uh, you know, a buzz and, and all the energy it takes. And, uh, and now it's almost finished. There's still actually quite a bit of artworks that we're still installing all the time and finishing off, but it's not far off. And it's, it's sort of like, well, well, what's my next project, you know? Yeah. And I do have quite a few lined up, but right now it's vintage time, so I'm sort of flat out with, uh, with vines. And, and, well, the interviews and all of those sorts of things, the media and all the people who want to say hello when, you're, when you open something like this takes up a fair bit of time too, but I've, yeah. I've got ideas coming up, but I can't say them yet. I don't want to give my father a heart attack just yet. <laughs> so, you know, tell me, what was it that had you so resolute with your vision and, and really just stand there for getting the outcome that you wanted when you were met with so much opposition? What, what had you see it through? I, I really believed strongly that this was the best thing that we could do by a million miles. It was just obvious as hell to me and and I suppose you know, the older generation don't didn't see that for whatever reason. Mm. And uh, and being um, uh, fairly Asperger's, then I uh, I get very uh, fixated on my concepts and ideas, and and you just you would just have to have it, and you, and you uh, like a dog at a bone, and and uh, and then you know, everyone said, but an art gallery as well. I mean, you know, this is you know, you're not an artist. And I said, well, I am, but I haven't exhibited much, but. Uh, uh, but I've got masses of ideas that I've been doing over the years with painting and sculpting and whatever. A lot of them either got thrown out or didn't quite finish. Mm-hmm. But uh, but funnily enough, I, I went, well, I, you know, I really have to do this or mm-hmm. else it's going to look pretty bad if I don't uh, do all these collages. So unfortunately, uh, I had a huge team of, of uh, my maintenance department and other people who have been working on it the whole time mm-hmm. and, and I've just been directing all of these installations. But uh, but now I, uh, yeah, it, it, it's come, come right round. And so, I, yeah, I feel fantastic actually that uh, the building's there and uh, and people are so positive and complimentary. Tell me about um, your Asperger's and, you know, because your self-awareness is really high. Like you've, you've, it's very clear that, you know, you know that you've got something going on. Do you, you see yourself as different to other people? I certainly knew I was different growing up, um, but I didn't know why and I didn't think it was a problem and I didn't think that uh, anyone was the same as anyone else. So I didn't really worry about it at all. We were all different. I went to a boarding school and, you know, you got to know boys very, very closely mm. and every one of them was different. So it really didn't matter. And I, and I didn't realise that I was probably a lot more different, if that makes any sense, than, than, uh, than what I really, what, you know, than what uh, other people were sometimes. And, uh, and I didn't really realise why I had dyslexia and, and Asperger's until quite a lot later when I did the tests and went, Oh, that explains a lot. And then people said to me, yeah, we knew. We always knew. Like, oh, great, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But I suppose they weren't going to tell me, you know, whatever. But, uh, but uh, you know, Asperger's is not a, not a negative. It's a positive because you, uh, you focus on things so well without uh, giving in easily and, and, uh, and you, you just get fixated on how you're going to solve the problem so mm. well. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's more positive than a negative. Has there been anything as part of that where you've felt stopped or has got in the way? Um, no, 
No, I don't think there has been that. So I don't think anything's got in the way of that. I mean, maybe I get a little bit um, uh, short with people occasionally. I'm actually not very uh, aggressive, really. But but uh, you know, I, I, I keep um, saying to them, "This is it. This is it. This is it." And I and maybe I am a bit too fixated. Maybe some people, maybe I, I could have given in occasionally to other people. I don't know. I mean, in the end, it all works out. So uh, it's not a problem. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's it'd be rude of me to say that I was always right. That's Darrenberg winemaker Chester Osborne. You can check out the Darrenberg Cube in McLaren Vale, South Australia. On the next In Show podcast, we're going to hear more inspiring words from someone who's really moved us. Yeah, Janet Matthews is from UniSA's Centre for Business Growth. And she actually, when she came into the studio, she three weeks earlier had had a 3D printed knee replacement. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, unbelievable. So she's going to talk about how 3D printing is going to change our life. That's on the next In Show podcast. The In Show Interview. Subscribe to the In Show podcast on iTunes. A Dave and the Beanstalk production.